What's up? Today's guest is holistic psychotherapist Natalie Moore, and we talk observing the masses, designing your own fulfilling path, and much, much Coming more. Coming live from the Fly Studio in Commerce Township, it's the Fulfilling Life's Yearnings Podcast! And I'm your host, Blake Giovanni Thomas Soule. And if you're ready to be your best by writing the script of your life to whatever you want it to be, and taking action on your dreams, then this is the podcast for you. It's time to enter the fly zone. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's the fly host who love the most, and I'm back with another episode of Fulfilling Life's Yearnings. I go by the name of Blake Soule, and today I have another special guest for you who is bringing lots of valuable information that you can you know, applies to your life today. And her name is Natalie Moore. And Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have you here. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited. I feel like we're going to have a great conversation today. Yes, I know. Just talking with you before the show started, I can I can already, you know, feel the positive vibe. So yeah, I think this is going to be fun. And And just to start off, can you... Um, talk about, you know, who you are and, and, you know, just your background. Absolutely. Well, like I was telling you before we hit record, I grew up in Los Angeles and went to school up in San Francisco for psychology and counseling psychology. And then I decided to move back to Los Angeles to start a career here and start working as a psychotherapist. And so just recently, I launched a private practice in an area of LA called Pasadena, which I really love. And it's been such a transformative experience for me that I feel like I'm really starting to blossom in this part of my career, this this part of my journey. So it's really been great. You know, that's awesome because I, I also went to, you know, for undergrad, I did uh, sociology. And then for my master's program, I did psychology. So, so I love, you know, what you're doing because that's also something that I you know, dabble with and I just find it so so interesting and, and refreshing to speak with someone else who who was invested in those particular um, topics. So with your psychotherapy, uh, what is it, you know, I guess that that draws you towards wanting to do that and 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 continue it as a passion? That's a great question. And I pretty much knew from a very young age, as far back as I can remember, Mm -hmm. that whatever it was that I did as a career in my future, I wanted to be able to help people. Mm. I didn't really know in what regard, but I knew that I wanted to be of service. And when I was really little, I used to be that teacher's pet who would stay after school and want to help them take down and redesign their bulletin boards. And I used to get excited about going to school even during summer break and I would volunteer in the special ed classroom or I would hang out with my teacher and help them come up with the curriculum for Mm -hmm. next year. And so I just knew like I either wanted to be a teacher or some type of, of a scientist coming up with, with new innovations. I wanted, to, I wanted to change the world in some way. And when I discovered psychology, actually in a psychology class in high school, okay. as soon as I cracked open that book, 
it just spoke to me. And I knew in that moment, this is my passion. This is what I'm going to do. I think I read like halfway through that (laughs) textbook on the first day because I was just amazed that there was some information out there that I had really never been exposed to that was so interesting and captivating to me. That's awesome. And I think that's amazing. Can you touch on what is what is a holistic psychotherapist? Okay. Well, first of all, I'll explain what a psychotherapist is because mm-hmm. a lot of people are actually unfamiliar with yeah. that term. Yeah. So when a lot of people think of the word therapist, um, sometimes that word gets tossed around a lot because there are a lot of different types of therapists. There are physical therapists, massage therapists, other types of therapists. And so the term psychotherapist is more specific. It means that they are a clinician who specifically works with people in a therapeutic capacity in the mental health field. And then a holistic psychotherapist means I'm somebody who takes a holistic approach to my work in that I see the whole client. A lot of psychotherapy revolves around looking at what's wrong and seeing a diagnosis or a cluster of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Whereas my perspective is broader than that. I like to focus on people's strengths, people's creativity, what's going right in their life so that I can help them maximize those strengths. And while maximizing those strengths, working on some of the weaknesses in tandem with that. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense to me. So it's not, you're not just seeing people who, you know, trying to tell them, you know, this is what's wrong with you and and, and just kind of like, and it's in a way bash them into feeling even worse about themselves, but you're bringing them up and trying to uh, take them to a different level so that they can, can continue to you know, do positive things with their lives. Exactly. Okay. And another aspect of, of a holistic approach means that I help them do that in more ways than one. I find that in my field, mental health is seen as like it's in a vacuum. Like that just mental health exists on its own. Whereas I believe that people have mental health, physical health, spiritual health, sexual health, all of these things, financial health. And so one cannot be healthy without all of the other ones being healthy as well because they all affect each other. Like if somebody is having a financial crisis then they can't be balanced in all the other areas of their life because they're going to be so anxious. They're probably going to have some type of physical ailment that strikes them like stomach aches or chronic headaches. So to address one without the other doesn't make that big of a difference. Whereas if you address all of them Mm. in a therapy setting, you can help people really transform their lives instead of just attending to one cluster of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So hearing you talk about this, I can you know, definitely tell that, that this is where your heart is and you're passionate about it. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious as to, do you help people with, you know, finding uh, jobs that they love themselves or, or what does that look like for you through your practice and, and what you love to do? That's a really, really great question, Blake. Um, so what I do is I help people find their own zest for life. So sometimes people come in and they're very ambivalent about what they want. They can't specifically state their goals. They don't mm-hmm. come in and say, look, Natalie, I want to feel better. I want to be more physically active. I want to have a job that I love. A lot of times people come in and they just have this vague feeling of discontent 
and stuckness and they don't know how to make themselves not feel that way again. So instead of helping people have a job that they love, I have to first help them realize that having a job that they love is something that they can want for themselves. Mm. Then when they want it for themselves, I can help them through the steps of actually attaining that goal. So it's a more complicated process than that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you talked about that because, you know, even before we got on the show, we were talking as far as, you know, who we are as millennials and and just relating as as a growing up with cell phones and 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 how the whole message and paradigm was to, you know, go to college, uh, you know, major in something that's going to essentially help you get a good job that's going to pay well when you finish out of college, but me and you, you've been talking beforehand is that that's just not how it is anymore. Or at least if you want to be able to do something that you love and, and actually care about doing, can we begin to unpack that a little bit and talk about how, how you would help someone do that and, and go through those steps as far as what it takes to actually create something or even to you know, fulfill those passions that they have? Absolutely. What it takes is helping that client really discover what they want in life. So if they were told from a very young age that what would make them happy is to go to college, get a great job, settle down with a family, then that's something that's really ingrained in them and they might not be ready yet to face that that might not be something that will make them happy. If you've Mm -hmm. been told something your entire life, that's a part of you. It's a part of your identity. And so before telling someone, hey, look, you should really do this instead of that, they have to come to that realization that what they've been told is not necessarily true. And that can be very painful. It can cause a lot of hurts to come up. And so that would be a first step. And then after that, you would help guide that person through finding out, well, what is it about their current job or situation that's unsatisfying to Mm -hmm. them? And through that process, it's very common that people realize that working for someone else or for someone else's vision is not satisfying to them. Or sometimes they come in saying that their their boss doesn't take them seriously or doesn't take their, their opinions or suggestions into account or that people feel like there's too much bureaucracy in their work. These things are very common. And so to help someone see that they don't actually have to deal with that is really new information and can be really scary because it really shakes up their paradigm that they've built their life around. Mm. And so it's a slower process. And then finally, once they've done more self-growth and looked into their situation, sometimes they realize, wow, I really don't want to go to work Monday through Friday, nine to five and hate Mm -hmm. my job and only have some time in the evening or on the weekends to be free and be to enjoy myself, which people often find that they're not really able to enjoy that time anyway, because they're so worried about their deadline that they have to meet for work or their mind is so full that they can't empty their mind and really live in the moment. So it's a step-by-step process. And then hopefully towards the end, that person will realize what their true passion is and either take steps toward 
maybe going back to school to pursue that passion, or if they're a very entrepreneurial person, putting steps in place to become their own boss and have Mm. their own business, whether it be a tiny small business or something larger, and to empower people to realize that they can do it. They can definitely do it as long as you have the skills involved. And as long as you have the motivation to do it, you can find a way where there's a will, there's a way. 100% agree with that. And thanks for sharing that, Natalie. What I want to ask about now is you mentioned, you know, being entrepreneurial. What, what does that look like? Do you also, you know, in a way help or coach um, uh, the clients that you work with, you know, come up with, you know, that creation process of even coming up with an idea and and then putting the the action in, in in motion to you know start working towards that dream. You know, I haven't had an opportunity yet to do that. It's something that I would love to do at mm-hmm. some point with clients. I find that people are very stuck in what they should do, quote unquote, should do. And so to get people to that point of realizing what they want to do and what they can do takes a lot of time. And being in private practice now is the first time I've really had an opportunity to work with people who are millennials, who are who are discovering themselves and what they want for themselves. Mm. Before working in private practice, I worked in community mental health settings with people who were very impoverished. And so working with that kind of setting, you're helping people really with survival and getting through traumas and community violence and things like that. And so I haven't specifically had the opportunity to help someone realize an entrepreneurial goal yet, but it's something that I would love to do. If anyone's listening and wants help with this Mm -hmm. particular issue and lives in my area, I'd I would love to work with you as a client because I could really relate to that passion and that goal. And I've been through it. I've been the living proof of it for almost a year now. And I know what it takes and I know the value of it. I know how good it feels when you've realized some of those goals that you initially thought were insurmountable. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about that, Natalie. You know, you as a as a young millennial entrepreneur, what what was that journey like for you as you talked about some of those things that, you know, might have been, I guess, hard to see at first, but now that you've done them, you were like, well, now this makes sense and I want to be able to help others do that. Definitely. So I had a very similar experience of many people, which I was explaining before about how many people have this idea of what they should do Mm -hmm. and how they should go to college and they should get degrees and a good job and all this stuff. Because I did the same thing. I followed that same path. I felt a lot of pressure from society and family to go a certain route in terms of my education and my career. And I did exactly that. I went and got a bachelor's degree, then I got a master's degree, then I started working towards a license in marriage and family therapy Hmm. in the exact route that most people do it, which is an internship in community mental health, because Mm -hmm. that's the way that most people do it. And I was doing what most people do. And it wasn't until about nine months into working at that internship that I just realized this is not for me. Hmm. I had this idea that if I was just tough enough 
and just, you know, kept at it that I would make it, I could make it work. But I realized that it was like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And no matter how hard I tried, it wasn't going to be a good fit for me. And even though I had others in my field who um, seemed to believe that that if you just keep at it, it'll get easier. I actually saw people heading towards burnout and heading towards having empathy fatigue and not being able to do their best work with clients. And so I just realized, you know what, I better get out now Mm -hmm. because I don't want that to be me. I want to be able to be vulnerable with my clients and have that ability to be completely present. And if you're worried about your caseload and getting your notes in and all your documentation, you just can't be as effective. And so once I realized that, I had to do some soul searching. I took some time off. I considered going back for a PhD, but I realized that that wasn't really addressing the issue either because going back and just getting another degree in school was not the solution to my problem. Hmm. My problem was more spiritual than that. It was more, how do I find something that's a really good fit for me, for who I am now? Okay. And so I had another breakthrough when I was when I was taking the exams to enter into a PhD program. I had another realization when I was clicking all of these boxes of yes, no, A, B, C, D. I realized this test has no ability to assess whether I'm a good PhD candidate or not. Wow. And if schools are deciding whether I'm a good candidate or not, based on the scores of this test, they're wildly misguided. And so during that test, I just realized, this is not me. What am I doing? This is a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, okay, I know what I need to do now. It's time for me to start a private practice. It was scary because I was still an intern. I still am an intern. Wow. And starting a private practice as an intern is, I think, tougher than doing it as a licensed professional because you don't have that that extra ego boost behind your name that tells you that you're good. You have to trust and know that you are good for for who you are as a person mm-hmm. and the experience that you do have so far as a clinician, even though it might not be the years of experience or decades of experience that other people have. And I just realized, you know what, it's now or never. I just have to face the fear and just do it. So I took that leap and I've been following that path ever since. And I'm really glad I did. Yeah, no, I think that is amazing that, that you were able to do that. And shows the 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 inner courage like if you will and and that strength to believe in yourself and i guess that's you know a a big thing that would be lacking in, in in someone in your position whereas everyone else is doing it a certain way but you were saying you know what this this doesn't feel right and just because everyone else is doing it this way does not mean that i need to do it that way as well and you found a better way uh, i i am curious that when you say an intern, you know, as far as in your profession, what does that mean? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can explain that process. So becoming a licensed psychotherapist in California takes quite a while. Mm-hmm. You have to do a two to, th- two to five year grad program. During that grad program in the last year, you do what's called a practicum, which is where you're working face to face with clients, just mm-hmm. like, just like a, you know, what you envision, a therapist and a client in the room talking Mm -hmm. about 
their issues and working on their issues for about a year. And during that time, you meet with a supervisor for every five client hours you do. You meet with a supervisor and they give you feedback. Then when you graduate, you do an internship where for every 10 client hours, you see your supervisor for an hour and they give you feedback. And you do this for 3,000 hours. Wow. Then you take two state exams. Once you pass those two state exams, then you're a licensed therapist. Okay. And so this can take people up to 10 years. I know two people whom it took 10 years to complete this process. And what's typical in, you can do it really quickly. If you decide to just see eight clients a day, Monday through Friday, which is almost impossible, but mm-hmm. if you were somehow able to figure that out, <laughs> you could get licensed in a couple of years. I know somebody who got licensed in two years and I my jaw hit the floor. Wow. I was amazed that she was able to do it so quickly. Yeah, she's taking her exams right now. Um, and so it takes about two to 10 years and it's very typical for people to work in community mental health settings the entire time that they're an intern and then to wait until they are licensed to start a private practice. And there's there's this false idea in my field that you need to be licensed to start a private practice when in reality, you can start a practice and find a supervisor who will supervise you within a private practice setting. Oh, wow. And you can have the life that you want sooner. And I don't know why more people don't take this route. I believe it's fear-based because like I said before, you don't have that license behind your name to kind of give you that internal sense of being good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I don't see why more people do it because it's awesome. I mean, if anyone is an MFT intern and is listening, you don't have to work in clinics if that's not what you want to do. You don't have to drive around your city from house to house, school to school, unless you love doing that. Some people really resonate with community mental health work. There were aspects of it, don't get me wrong, that I loved. I loved working with people who couldn't afford therapy. I Mm -hmm. loved working with the Spanish-speaking community. I'm also bilingual, so I worked a lot with Spanish-speaking clients. I loved doing the trauma work. There's a lot of people who have experienced trauma in these neighborhoods, and so making those kinds of changes was amazing. Unfortunately, those settings are not set up for the benefit of the therapist. The therapist tends to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice for their work, and they are not given any type of work-life balance. You have huge caseloads, tons of paperwork, and you kind of lose yourself in Mm. all of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not really sustainable. I felt like it was kind of an intern mill Mm -hmm. where they were training your replacement at any given time so that if you quit, they would have somebody to fill your shoes. And when you have a turnover rate that's that's that high, it's not good for the clients. I had one client who I was her fourth therapist. And then after I left, she had to have another one. And that broke my heart because if you keep getting the person who is only there for a year or less, then you don't make that progress towards your goals because the most important thing in therapy is creating a strong connection with your therapist. If you don't have that, then none of that great work can be done. Right. And that makes a lot of sense to me. It's just, just, so how long 
were you in the in the um in the community before you switched over to your own practice again? About nine months okay. at that one setting, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible that you did that. And I'm curious to to know if you can um discuss how that how what you did, you know, you know, translate into, you know, someone else kind of hesitant about starting up their own thing because there's a, a process that they're supposed to go to. Do you have any insights on hmm. on what you would tell that person? Yeah, I would tell that person to get creative and think outside the box. And I'll actually, I'll give an example of somebody else in my life who did that. Mm-hmm. My mom decided midlife that she didn't want to work for somebody else anymore and that she really needed to be her own boss Mm -hmm. and she wanted to be an interior designer typically if you want to do interior design you go to design school you learn how to use all of their online software you learn how to do drafting there's a huge process of learning However, my mom was already really great at interior design. She had tons of experience designing and remodeling her own home. Mm -hmm. She poured through design magazines daily. She already knew the stuff. She didn't need to go to school. Right. So she just said, you know what? I don't care what the typical process is. I'm, you know, already late in life. I don't want to go back to school. That's not part of my plan. That's not what I want to do. That's not my journey. So she just started her own interior design business. She started small. She started blogging once a week while still having a full-time job. She started doing DIY projects that she could blog about. She started talking to people who were her friends and colleagues about this budding career that that she was building on the side and did projects for people that she knew for a very low price so that she could start building her portfolio. Mm -hmm. Then she got a great opportunity with a friend who had a large house on the market that she wanted to sell. And the friend had great taste in furniture, but didn't really know how to put things together. Mm -hmm. And so my mom offered to do the job for her and to stage the house. Mm. And so my mom went in and she made it look gorgeous. And that was her first big project that she could put into her portfolio. And now five years later, she and my older sister now run this business and it's a thriving business. And so that just goes to show you that just because there's a typical way of going about things doesn't mean that that has to be your journey. Sometimes if you already have the skills and the entrepreneurial mindset to do something, you're better off not waiting. You're better off just starting it on your own and reaping some of the benefits of that success. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me. And that's awesome for your mom too, because even my mom, my mom is in that, in that same space. She loves doing the interior designing as well. And just is really artistic. So that that's really cool. Can you talk about, you know, what, what it looks like to, you know, create that life that, that you own and, and, and you're just, you know, proud of, and you wake up in the mirror in the morning, look in the mirror and says, you know, I feel good about what I'm doing. Can you take us inside um, on how we start beginning to 
overcome that fear, if you will, and putting in the processes to to do the things we want to do? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes in order to overcome that fear, you have to start looking at the scary places. You have to look at the worst case scenario of what if I fail? And you have to be okay with that. You have to get comfortable with that discomfort. You have to sit with that discomfort and to be able to tolerate tolerate it because there are going to be days where you do feel like a failure. Sometimes there's a month that goes by and I don't get any client calls and I feel like, oh my God, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe this was a horrible <laughs> idea and I feel terrible. And then the next day, I'll get, you know, four cl- four new clients in a week or wow. something crazy like that. You have to be able to sit with that discomfort and know that there could be something just around the corner that you have no idea is there. And starting a business requires a lot of tolerance of uncertainty mm-hmm. and instability. See, the beauty of these jobs that people tend to take right out of college is that there's stability and there's certainty and people can get really comfortable with that. But the the beauty of having your own business is that you get to make your own schedule. You get to do your own marketing that is ethical and that's within your values. You get to do things like come on this podcast and talk to Blake Soleil <laughs> to get the word out about your business. You get to do the things you love. When I wake up, I get excited about the things that I get to do for my business. Whereas I don't think that many people were sold the idea that you can love your work. Hmm. And why do you think that? Because I know we, we talked about that a couple of times and just wanting to make money. And that seems to be the, the, the overall theme as for why people do jobs. But um, is, there, is there anything else deeper why they think they can't love their work? It has to do with societal values mm-hmm. that we were sold for our entire lives. We were told either directly or indirectly that what we needed to do was follow a script basically Mm. from the beginning to end of life and that there was a certain way of doing things. It really benefits governments to have societies that are compliant and Mm -hmm. that go a certain route and do things a certain way. If everybody just follows the leader and goes to school, gets good grades, has a good job, that's really great for corporate America because they have a lot of people to be in their workforce. Right. Whereas if people get creative and entrepreneurial, that's actually really good for the middle class because you have a lot of small businesses thriving and you get a lot of people employing people at a local level instead of a corporate level. So unfortunately, a lot of our societal values are influenced by government and by corporations, which let's be honest, pretty much run the government. And so that's why our world is in the state that it is. We have corporations like Walmart pretty much taking over small towns and Mm. putting everybody else out of business. And people actually welcome that because they don't actually know what the result is. They think, oh, cool, Walmart's coming in and we're going to get low prices and this is going to be great. Well, you're not really going to like those low prices as much when you really need them because you're out of work. Mm -hmm. And so I think bringing an entrepreneurial spirit back to the United States is the only thing that can save it at this point and helping people realize that you don't need 
to go to a corporate job to make good money. You can be your own boss and you can have your own ethical standards, run a business that's in line with your own values, and you don't have to surrender to anybody. No, I love that you said that because, you know, you mentioned that our society in, in a way has the a very, very powerful, you know, indoctrination system that that works, you know, almost to a T. But it's people like you who who are spreading that message about, you know, being creative, stepping outside of the box and and doing the things now as opposed to later. And I think that brings up brings us to like a another interesting point, Natalie, that I want to talk about is, you know, is how do you help people live, you know, more peaceful, authentic lives? Oh, I love that. I love that question. So inner peace is something that needs to be cultivated. So a lot of ways that people can do this is through meditation, yoga, anything that they really love. And if you practice something with commitment and with consistency that gives you more clarity and that makes you feel more calm, you will find more inner peace because that will translate to the rest of your day. If you spend an hour a day doing something that really calms you and really makes you feel in your element, like gardening or doing a sport, whatever it is, that will nourish you. And that won't just stay with you for that hour that you're practicing it. If you do this consistently, that will become a lifestyle for you and that will carry on to the rest of your day. And so helping people find either that one thing or those two things that really make them feel calm and at ease and connected, that's the first step. Mm -hmm. And to help them live a more authentic life, I have to help them get in touch with what they really want. So we've talked a lot today about how people are sold something that they think they want, Mm -hmm. but it takes a while to figure out what you really do want because you have to strip away all of these layers of what you were originally told and what you originally believed. And to strip that away takes a lot of willingness to be vulnerable and willingness to almost feel bare and naked because you have to strip away everything that you thought was true and come to your own truth. Well, I really like that. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And just to unpack that a little bit more, Natalie, what, you know, what does that look like for you just to give us some insight as to, you know, what your, you know, your uh, daily ritual is that you might use to find that, 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 inner peace and then and then bringing out that authenticity okay for me it's always a process Mm -hmm. so i've struggled a lot with perfectionism okay and being a busy bee kind of person who always feels like they have to do 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 and, Mm -hmm. and be on the go and so that's something that i still struggle with so i don't want anyone listening to think that i'm this perfect example of what to do. Mm-hmm. I have my own struggles. I, Especially starting this business, it's been hard for me to step back from always doing something for my business and doing more for myself. So what it looks like instead of a daily habit or daily r- routine, what it looks like is constantly coming back to that self-care and okay. that that time for me, even if I've strayed from it. And so 
one day that might look like me going on a hike in the morning because I love hiking. Or it might mean turning off the computer and the cell phone and just doing something quiet in my home or doing something else to take care of myself, going to acupuncture, whatever it is. It means always coming back to that and reminding myself that I need to take care of myself. A doctor has all of their instruments that they use to work with their patients. As a therapist, you are the tool. So you have to always hone that tool and keep it sharp. And part of doing that is coming back and taking care of yourself and meeting your own needs first. That's awesome. And I, and I love that you shared that, that you don't have it all figured out as well. And I think that is helpful to know because I guess sometimes it the the message from others who are, I guess, are in a, in a place of authority are a little reluctant to talk about, you know, that they still struggle at times. You know, I struggle at times as well with even perfectionism for myself. And and I think the same thing that you were saying is wanting to be a busy bee and, and, and not taking the time to, to decompress and, and find those things that, you know, help me be able to continue what I'm doing uh, day in and day out. So that's awesome that you shed some light on that as well. And for the for the the the, the entrepreneur in all of us, what what was that struggle or journey like for you, um, having to deal with you know outside opinions and 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 overcoming those? Um, I guess if you would, negative thoughts or, or uh, thoughts of doubt? What you have to do is realize that those negative thoughts or doubts have nothing to do with you and everything mm-hmm. to do with the person expressing them. So if somebody tells me, what, you're starting a private practice as an intern? Why would someone want to pay you for your services? You're not licensed. Mm. I have to know that that has absolutely nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with that person's insecurity about their own work and maybe they didn't believe when they were an intern that they were worth it. And so I have to detach myself from those types of thoughts. And don't get me wrong, it still hurts. I mean, that's a dagger. If somebody says that to you, luckily no one has really said that. Someone made a comment once about how as an intern, I'm going to have to charge a really low fee because who would want to pay an intern a full fee? Hmm. But I didn't take that too personally because um, it's pretty common as an intern to take a sliding scale fee, um, which I do. And so I didn't take it too personally because she didn't say it with any malice. Mm -hmm. She just was saying it out of her own clinical experience. So luckily I haven't had anybody say anything that really dug, that really hurt. But if they did, I would take that that advice that I just gave you of understanding that it's coming from them and that it's simply a projection. No, that makes a lot of sense because I've had a couple of guests on it and they've always talked about that, that the person that's, I guess, throwing out those negative comments is they're seeing... Um, the world through their own reality and and in their reality that doesn't make sense to them but like you said so eloquently it has nothing to do with you and your reality of the world and how you see things exactly and sometimes we can take those comments that people make and fuel our own passion 
it's not it's not bad to feel anger toward those types of comments. You can let yourself get angry if if your initial response is to feel angry, feel that anger, let that anger permeate you and experience it for a little while and see what that anger tells you. It might have a message for you. It might tell you, you know what? Do it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> prove them wrong. And I'm not saying I'm not saying live for others, live to prove others wrong because that that's not really what we're going for here, but what we're going for is living an authentic life that really reflects you so that when you wake up in the morning, you don't dread going to work so that when you have the weekend off, you're excited about relaxing, but you're not trying to escape something that you had to deal with Monday through Friday. Right. It's about living for you. And when you have a life that really reflects you, you just feel happy because everything's in balance. If you have a life where certain things feel good and other things don't feel good, you kind of feel this constant sense of tension because something's not right. But when everything's in balance and everything flows, you just feel free. No, I love that. And that makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, I, I get to wake up and, and do this show and and speak with so many different, you know, unique people who, who you know, are fulfilling their life's yearnings and are willing to take the time to, you know, share their message and to inspire others and, and, and in a way give back that those thoughts that I guess that they wish they would have had someone to tell them or share with them. So I, uh, so I applaud you for, for being one of those persons who, who can come on and, and discuss what, what you love doing. And, and I want to bring up something that you mentioned earlier, Natalie, about you know, having a, a heart-centered business. I think that is something that, that is very important, especially for me and, and the message that I'm trying, uh, wanting to put out. But for someone that's in a heart-centered business, what what does that, that business side look like for you? You know, how do you, you know, uh, get get the exposure that you need um, for, for a new business? Are you... Um, spending a lot of time going to different uh, networking events or or what does that process or, or structure look like for you? I'd love to answer that question. It's something I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Starting a heart-centered business is all about building relationships. Okay. Building relationships within your community, reaching out to different community organizations, whether it's schools, places of worship, anything that has people, (laughs) reaching out and finding out what their needs are and how can you help meet their needs. Talk to doctors, talk to teachers, talk to community leaders, find out what they need. If they need somebody to come and speak about how to reduce stress, ways they can manage stress naturally, offer to do a talk for them and a short, free introductory introductory talk about how to incorporate meditation into their life so that they can reduce stress. Go to schools, find out what the teachers need. Maybe the teachers need more information about how to um, pick up on early signs of autism or ADHD, things like this, focusing on the community, what you can do to help, focusing on relationships are the best way to start your heart-centered business because that's that's where the people are that you want to help. And then after that, I would say getting your message out to a larger audience um, so that you can really hone your message and find out what is it that I really want 
to communicate to the world. And so a good way of doing that would be to reach out to people who have a large audience, like podcast broadcasters Mm -hmm. or people who have a blog with a lot of followers. Do some speaking, do some writing, get your message out there. The more you you reiterate your message, the more you discover what your message is. I've learned some things about myself doing this talk with you. And so the more you do it, the more comfortable you feel with who you are and what your business is all about. That's that is uh that's awesome to hear that because for for podcasting or or for any sort of uh, profession, I, I do think it is important with that aspect of relationship building because it's it's you know in a way building up your brand and 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 just getting it into as in front of many as many people as possible. So even if it doesn't stick today, you know, that seed is planted and then hopefully down the line or even, you know, relatively soon that person begins thinking about, huh, you know, what was that thing I was hearing the other day? And and, and then go from there and start digging deeper and, and further into the information that was being, you know, provided to them. So I think that's awesome. And for you and, you know, you're early in your career, where, where is it that, as an entrepreneur, you know, as a psychotherapist, what what do you want to go on to do? Oh, I love that you asked that question because I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. As much as I, as much as I love to stay present and in the moment, I'm right. also such a future oriented <laughs> thinker, and this is something that I think about a lot. What I really want to do in the future is start a holistic healing center and have it be a community place where people can gather and bring in so many different talented people. I know so many talented therapists who I would love to collaborate with in some way, and I would love to have them work at my center or be involved in some way and also have other forms of healing modalities there like acupuncture, massage, yoga, things like this, so that if people want to feel better. They have a lot of different options. Therapy is not for everybody. Some people don't want to go and talk about their problems. Some people want to release their trauma through body work or other ways. And so honoring that and realizing that my modality is not necessarily the best fit for everybody, but I would love to have a healing center that could be a space where people can heal and connect with each other and start to build community, a healthy, healthy, happy community. That is awesome. And and there was something that you said there as well, Natalie, about, you know, mental health. You know, that's been prevalent in the news uh, with all the recent events that have been going on throughout the world. What what, you know, benefits or how does how does what you do uh help, you know, kind of uh, lessen the burden of, you know, uh, healthcare and, and uh, the rising costs of, of you know, the billions and trillions of dollars we're spending on, on medical care um, through your practices and, and the message that you're trying to spread. What, what can that do to, I guess, alleviate us of all these, these burdens of, of medicine and just that whole, um, uh, uh, methodology of having people go to the hospital or whatever to get you know pills and etc what does what you do help with our own uh, mental well-being 
I love that you asked that question because it's all so interconnected. What we're seeing now is a lot of people going to doctors with these vague complaints mm-hmm. of chronic pain. A lot of doctors have been um, diagnosing a lot of people with what's called fibromyalgia. If they just have no idea what this person has, they just stick them with a fibromyalgia diagnosis. A lot of people have sleep issues. Mm. The amount of insomnia that we're seeing now is through the roof and people are being prescribed strong sedatives like Ambien. Um, Some people are coming in with chronic pain and getting on opiate-based pills. And what I see with all of these things combined is that these are these are mental health issues. Mm-hmm. People who experience depression don't always describe their symptoms with the way that they feel. A lot of people can't express their emotions because they've never been taught how to express their emotions. Mm. So they, what's called somaticizing, which is when you take a mental symptom and you experience it and express it through your body. And so I think that a lot of these cases that we're seeing these days have a mental health aspect to them. And so that if people really addressed what the real cause of the symptom was, that they wouldn't need any of these medications. I would also say that this is associated with the obesity epidemic. I think that if people were really felt good about themselves, loved themselves, cared about themselves, that they wouldn't necessarily experience as extreme of an obesity epidemic as we are experiencing today. I think a huge part of it is the fact that the food is addictive and mm. that the the products that are being put out are not suitable for human consumption. Right. But that's another issue. I think that there's also a mental component to it. These foods are addicting. Going to therapy can help you realize, okay, what's going on in my life, Mm -hmm. what's wrong, what's spiraling out of control so that you can start taking power over your own decisions and your own life. No, I think that's awesome that you shared that. And yeah, I I just wanted to know that because we were, I know we were talking about how, how to be the authentic person and, and also go with the holistic approach, but I also thought it would be relevant to discuss just, just, you know, our own mental capacity and, and, and how that plays a role into, you know, everything that we do. So, yeah. So thanks for shedding some light onto that as well. And, um, I just have two questions left for you. And I just want to thank you again, Natalie, for coming on and talking about, you know, how to, how to design that life, uh, that you want to live as well as, you know, doing a job that, not not that you only just like, but you love and and you're excited about, you know, getting up and doing it every day, even when there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of risk involved. So my first of two questions is, uh, you know, based on what we were talking about, uh, what would be your call to action, you know, for myself, you know, for the listeners about moving forward and, and what we can do to you know, have this more peaceful, authentic life and also creating that life that's of our own design. Start doing the things that you love more often. Whatever it is that brings you joy and peace, 
Find a way to integrate that more into your schedule. And if you can't integrate it into your schedule more, then change your life so that you have a more open schedule to do those things that you love. Whatever is in your control, do something to make your life more manageable and more peaceful. I love it. Start doing more of the things that you love. And if you can't change it, so that you can. <laughs> exactly. And that means for some people, that's going to mean seeing a therapist or a life coach or a spiritual guide. Other people might be able to do it on their own by doing things like listening to your podcast or looking at other things online that are inspirational or reading books that help them meet their goals. Whatever it is, get some type of guidance because it can be hard to do it alone. Mm-hmm. No, I'm glad you said that too because... It always goes back to that thing, uh, that old message that I always hear is that we're not meant to be islands of ourselves. Just if you, you know, are having something that you want to discuss or whatever, or you're feeling this, this gut feeling that things need to change, you know, read books. Books are, you know, most of the times my best friends because they help me find, find out what's going on through myself or even just talking with others that you can communicate with about, you know, what you feel and, and being able to have someone empathetically, I guess, listen to what's happening with you. And so you can start expressing and finding those things that bring you passion. And so I'm glad that you shared that. And then the final question is, you know, what, you know, your all of your experiences in life and the, and the journey that you're on now, what would you say would be your definition of fulfilling life's yearnings? Oh, wow. For me, it's helping other people. Whatever I can do in life to help the most people in the deepest way, that's fulfilling my life's yearning. I love it. Helping the most people in the most effective way. That I, That's a great definition for that. And you are someone who I feel is truly doing that. And I just want to thank you and applaud you, Natalie, for you know taking some time out today to, you know, talk with me about what you're passionate about and just before we go i just want to give you the floor is there any way that we can you know see what you have going on or or to connect with you outside of the podcast yeah if anyone wants to connect with me they can find out how on my website which is awaken the self.com awaken the self.com awesome that will be included in today's you know show notes for the episode and definitely check out what Natalie has going on not just from you know the perspective to see uh to check out her biz but just also to connect with someone else who whose heart is in the work that they're doing and 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 just if you want to relate with someone else who's doing positive things, I think Natalie would be a great resource to see what she has going on and what she's doing to make you know, an impact on the people's lives that, that she wants to improve. So again, Natalie, thank you for coming on with us today on Fulfilling Life's Yearnings. Uh, my name is Blake Sule. And again, make sure you check out the show notes for today's episode where you can find any relevant you know information that was brought up during today's discussion about what you can do to start fulfilling life's yearnings in your own life. Thanks so much for having me on, Blake. Awesome. Thank you and talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Fulfilling Life's Yearnings. I want to know what your biggest takeaway is, so please head on over 
to fulfillinglifesjourneys.com today and click on the show notes link for today's episode, which is located on the homepage, and leave a comment. The show notes page is where you can find the resources mentioned during the show and will be very valuable for you on your own journey. To stay up to date about what's happening, please subscribe to my newsletter and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're subscribing on iTunes, it would definitely mean a lot to me if you would leave a review to show future potential listeners of Fulfilling Life's Yearnings what you think as your voice helps them decide that Fulfilling Life's Yearnings is right for them. Now it's in your hands. Are you ready to fly? Until next episode, stay in the zone and make today a fly day by taking action on your dreams.